Welcome to Creation Radio and TV. I'm your host, Mike Riddle, the founder and president of Creation Training Initiative, where our mission is based off the scripture, 2 Timothy 2.2, called Biblical Discipleship. What we do is train other Christians how to speak and teach on biblical creation and be able to defend their faith. Now, we're currently going through a whole series on understanding the basics of biblical creation. And as part of this, we're doing now a, several lessons on apologetics. Now, just as a reminder, the word apologetics does not mean we apologize. It comes from the Greek apologia, which means we have a verbal defense. Now, we're now on session three, or section three of apologetics. In the first two sessions, we answered many different challenges. In session one, we answered the challenge, how could Adam have named all the animals in just one day? And who was Cain's wife? In session two, we answered four more challenges. For example, how could the first three days of creation be literal days if the sun was not created until day four? Is creation too divisive? Shouldn't we just stick to the main doctrines was another challenge. Another challenge was, where did all the water go after the flood? And then a last challenge, how could Noah have fit all the animals on that ark? Well, in session three here, we're going to answer two more challenges. Number one, what is a biblical worldview? Is it different from all other worldviews? And secondly, is the battle really between science and the Bible? So those will be the two challenges we discussed today. So let's start with challenge one. What is a biblical worldview? Well, we need to really start with what is a definition of a worldview. And let me read you a couple of these definitions. One definition states this. A worldview comprises one's collection of presuppositions, convictions, and values from which a person tries to understand and make sense out of the world and life. That is the definition. Now, here's a definition from the American Heritage Dictionary of the English Language. The overall perspective from which one sees and interprets the world, a collection of beliefs about life and the universe held by an individual or a group. Now, those are common definitions of a worldview. In other words, a worldview is how a person interprets through his or her own eyes a personal belief about the world they see. In other words, a worldview is an individual's basis for answering such questions as, who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going? What is true and what is false? In other words, is there absolute morality? What is the meaning of life? Does God exist? And if so, what is my response to him? Those questions are answered by a person's worldview. In other words, a worldview is everything we do, every judgment we make, every decision we make, who we marry, what we teach our children, how we do our job, and how we function every day in society. All of those are governed by our worldview. It's the set of glasses we see the world through. Now, based on these definitions, there's really only three distinct worldviews. Number one, there is the secular worldview, and there's many subsets of that. Number two, there is the religious worldview, and it also has many subsets. And number three, there is the 
biblical worldview. Now, let me go through each one of these and describe them. The secular worldview is basically a false philosophy that denies the existence of God. It is based on the worldview or philosophy of materialism. That is, all that exists is mass and energy. There are no gods and no supernatural forces. As its foundation, it has the belief in evolutionism. In other words, man is the measure of all things. Now, the second worldview, the religious worldview, is the largest population of people. It is similar to the secular worldview, although it adds in some aspect of the supernatural or sense of spirituality. It includes the more than 250 different religions in the world. Uh, it includes subsets of Christianity, unfortunately. It includes forms of theistic evolution, where people going to church believe that God used evolution. It involves the New Age and even Satanism. Those are all forms of a religious worldview. Now, third, what is a biblical worldview? Well, it views all life through the authority of Scripture, the revealed Word of God from beginning to end. Now, a definition of a biblical worldview comes in Matthew 22, verse 37, where it states, Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and all thy mind. Now, what does this mean? It means everything we believe, everything we believe, should be according to God's Word. It should be our heart, soul, and mind. Now, many Christians have given their heart and soul over to God, but their mind is still entrenched in the world. But the Bible tells us something about that. In Romans 12, 2, we read this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, now get this, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect, the perfect will of God. In other words, as Christians, we should renew our mind to be thinking according to God's word and not the world. In other words, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, meaning we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we need to renew our mind and use God's Word as our authority in all matters. Not man's wisdom, not our emotions, not any human imagination, and not any biology textbook. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, God's Word must be our authority in all matters. Now, many Christians who have accepted Christ, but they seem to have their mind given over to the world. An example of this would be theistic evolution. In other words, God created everything, but he didn't do it in six days. He used millions of years to create everything. This is called a form of theistic evolution. Even though God's word so plainly states he created it in six little days and not millions of years, Many have just accepted what the world tends to believe. In other words, they've been convinced that the scientists have proven the earth billions of years old. In other words, they reinterpret Genesis to include millions of years. Now, if we're to follow this logic to its conclusion, <clears throat> we have to take this line of thinking. Think of this now. We've reinterpreted Genesis to include millions of years because that's what the world believes. But did you know, according to all known science, 
You cannot be dead for three days and come back to life. So are we also, as Christians, supposed to reinterpret the resurrection based on known science? See, there, Christians have a conflict or contradiction in the worldview. They reinterpret Genesis to include what the world believes, but they don't want to reinterpret the resurrection based on what the world believes. And the world sees this, and they see the contradiction in the church. And because of this, the church has now become a stumbling block for many to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Folks, if we don't believe it, if we don't set it as our authority, then how can we tell anybody else to set it as our authority? Now, words, the biblical worldview commands us to love God with our heart, soul, and mind. Everything has to be given over to God. But unfortunately, because of the influence of the world, many are now shifting from a biblical worldview over to the religious worldview. And we can see this happening in a poll taken in 2003 by the Barna Group. It revealed the following state of the church in America. And here's what they found in their research. Today, only 4% of American adults have a biblical worldview. That's a very small percentage, but I think even worse. Only 9% of Christians in America have a biblical worldview. And again, many may have given their heart and soul to God, but they're still thinking like the world. And even worse than those two, the poll showed only 51% or half of all of America's Protestant pastors have a biblical worldview. That is incredible. Only half the pastors, Protestant pastors in America, have a biblical worldview. So I have a question. Do you really have a biblical worldview? Well, let's put ourselves to a test. Let's answer the following questions. These are all based on claims given in the Bible and also questions used in the Barna Research Group in testing for a biblical worldview. So let's go through our test. Eight questions. Question number one, do absolute moral truths exist? Yes or no? Question number two, is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Yes or no? Question number three, did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Question number four, is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and does he still rule it? today? Yes or no? Question number five. Is salvation a gift of God that cannot be earned? Simply yes or no. Question number six. Is Satan real? Question number seven. Does a Christian have a responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? Yes or no? And question number eight. Is the Bible accurate in all its teachings? Now, did you answer yes to all these? If you did, then you have a biblical worldview. But remember, only 9% of Christians, born-again believers in America, have a biblical worldview. Now, <clears throat> let's carry on. What, is, what and where is the best place to begin developing a Christian worldview? And the answer comes from a book called From Creation to the Cross by Albert Bayless. And he puts it very clearly 
how we begin to have a biblical worldview. And he states, if we're going to learn about God through his activity, creation is the best place to start. It was and is the critical event for a person's worldview. In other words, if you want to have and start establishing a biblical worldview, it starts in Genesis with these words, in the beginning God created. This is the beginning of space, time, and matter. It starts to define the very character of who God is. So a biblical worldview starts with our authority in Jesus Christ and His Word. Now we need to protect our biblical worldview against all these attacks that are coming against. All these attacks that say, oh, you just need to conform to the world. <clears throat> Be more like the world and more people will come to your church. Add a little more entertainment. Don't teach the hard doctrines. Just teach the soft stuff so more people will come. Folks, the Bible warns us that we need to protect this worldview. And we see that warning coming out of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, where it states this, For the time will come when they will not endure a sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heat to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Folks, that sounds like a lot of churches in America today. They have left the hard doctrines. They don't want to teach the hard doctrines. They don't want to teach about the blood of Jesus. They don't want to teach that God created in six little days. They just rather tell everybody, come to church and be happy and we'll entertain you. Now as Christians, if we really want to have a biblical worldview, if we really want to set Jesus Christ as our standard and not something else, we cannot compromise with the world. We cannot compromise with the teachings of evolution. We cannot compromise with this thing called abortion. The Bible says we were made in the image and likeness of God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And as people, folks, we are not animals. That is a human classification, not what the Bible calls us. We cannot compromise with the world's definition of marriage. The Bible clearly teaches marriage is between one man and one woman, and we cannot compromise with that. We cannot compromise with the Word of God where it says He created everything in six little days. And He wrote it down in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 11. God wrote down on the clay tablets, For in six days the Lord made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. In Genesis chapter 1, He defined His days by evening and morning first day, evening and morning the second day. We cannot compromise that with the world's belief in billions of years of time. And again, we cannot compromise with the teachings of evolution because the Bible clearly states in Colossians 1.16, God is the creator of all things. And we read this in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. That statement in Colossians 1.16 is very clear. God is the creator of all things. That means he created all the stars, all the galaxies, all the planets, and all life. It states very clearly the things that are visible and the things that are invisible. We cannot compromise 
with other religions that state there are many ways to get to heaven. John 14, 6 clearly states there is only one way to get to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. We cannot compromise with this idea the world has called moral relativism. In other words, what's true for you may not be true for me. Because God's word in John 17, 17 says, Thy word is truth. There is no compromise there, folks. And as it states in Matthew 12, 30, we cannot compromise. In Matthew 12, verse 30, Jesus Christ makes this statement. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. The Bible teaches there is no compromise. Either we are followers of Jesus Christ, we have a biblical worldview, or we have set parts of the world and what they believe as our standard above God's word. See, our biblical worldview is Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and all thy mind. Where is your mind entrenched today? Are you believing what the world has to say? Have you set your imaginations, your emotions, or your feelings above God's word? Have you set the world's standards on evolution above God's word? Or are you accepting the authority of God's word as your authority in all matters? Heart, soul, and mind is a biblical worldview. Now let's go to our second challenge. The battle is between science and the Bible. Now, many believers and non-believers I hear making this statement. But is that statement really true? Let's examine that statement. Statements like the battles between science and the Bible, first of all, that discredits God and His works. To make that statement, the battles between science and the Bible, discredits the very works of God. Since God is the creator of all things, He is the creator of all science including the laws of science. Folks, God is not in a battle with himself. The battle is not between science since God created all science. In other words, science is good. Secondly, statements like the battles between science and the Bible discourage our Christian youth from wanting to go into science. That's not a good thing to do. Since God's the creator of all the science, we should learn more. And third, since God is the creator of all science, it means science is good. In addition, the study of science will always reveal more about the character and power of our creator God, Jesus Christ. And fourth, statements like the battles between science and the Bible, what we have to understand, it is man's interpretation of the scientific evidence that may not be good. And that is what can go wrong. It is called evolutionism. That's where science has not really gone wrong. It's our interpretation of the evidence. Science, again, is good. God created all the science. And we need to encourage our students, Christian students, to go into the study of science where they can see more of the wonders of who our God is. Now, does the Bible really even make any mention about science? And the answer is yes. Now, the Bible's not a science textbook. I want to make sure you understand. It's not a textbook, and that is a good thing. Because what do we keep doing to our science textbooks? We keep changing them over and over because we find mistakes. We have new discoveries. But God's Word remains unchanged. 
So let's look at some of the science we find in the Bible. And we'll start with Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, where we see a great example of astronomy in the Bible. And we read this out of Isaiah 40, verse 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Did you notice that? Circle of the earth. Over 3,000 years ago, long before we had any of this modern astronomy, the Bible declared the earth was round. And that Hebrew word can also mean sphere. Three, almost 3,000 years ago, the Bible taught that. See, the Bible never taught the earth was flat. That's part of what our public education system has propagated. But the Bible never taught that. The Bible science is always true. Then we can turn to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 33, verse 22, and we see another great example of astronomy in the Bible. As it reads, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered. In other words, what the Bible is teaching there is that the stars are too numerous to count. Now, is that really true? Are the stars really too numerous to count? Well, let's take a look at an example. If we were to count one star every second, now get this, one star for every second for 100 years, how many stars would we have counted? Well, let's take a look at this. How many stars do the astrophysicists estimate are in our universe? Well, they estimate there are literally quintillions of stars. In other words, about 100 quintillion stars are in this universe. Well, let me put that in perspective. Let me talk about that number. 10 to the 6, 10 to the 6 power, or 1 followed by 6 zeros is a million. 1 followed by 9 zeros is a billion. 1 followed by 12 zeros is a trillion. 1 followed by 15 zeros is a quadrillion. And 1 followed by 18 zeros is a quintillion. See, if we were to count one star every second for 100 years, at the end of those 100 years, we'll have only counted a little bit of over 3 billion stars. Just as the Bible taught. The stars are too numerous to count. Quintillions of stars out there. And you know what I love? In day four of creation, it makes this statement, and he made the stars also. That's how powerful our God is. The next time you're out there in a clear night, just look up there and look at the heavens and see all those vast amount of stars. And it says, and he made the stars also. And many of these stars dwarf our sun in size. Don't we have an all-powerful creator God? Now let's continue on with more examples of science in the Bible. In Leviticus chapter 11, it talks about medical cleanliness and sanitation. In 2 Samuel 22 verse 16, it talks about the ocean floor is flat. We didn't know that until too long ago. We thought the ocean floor was flat. And there in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 16, it mentions the ocean floor is not flat. It's full of crevices and mountains. Then in Genesis chapter 1 and Job chapter 40, verses 15 through 18, the Bible teaches dinosaurs and man lived at the same time. Oh, Mike, you can't believe that. Yes, I can. The Bible is my authority. 
In Genesis 1, it teaches God created the land animals on day 6. And folks, dinosaurs were land animals. And He created Adam and Eve on day 6. So the Bible clearly teaches dinosaurs and man lived at the same time. Also in the book of Job, chapter 15, verses or chapter 40, verses 15 through 18, God is describing a creature to, to Job, and he says, He has a tail like a cedar, meaning a large tail. He has bones like bars of iron. And it describes this creature as being a plant eater. And then God says he is the chief of the ways of God. Folks, this is not an alligator, because alligators eat us. This is a plant eater God is describing. This is not an elephant or a hippopotamus. I think that's an embarrassment when people make that statement in Christianity. This is a large creature with a large tail, and it sounds like a very good description of a dinosaur, much like an apatosaurus. And we have overwhelming scientific evidence that dinosaurs and people lived at the same time today. We are finding proteins, red blood cells, and soft tissue still on dinosaur bones. And folks, there is no known way soft tissue, red blood cells, and proteins can last for millions of years. We need not compromise the Word of God with the world. We need to have our heart, soul, and mind given over to God's Word. We need to trust it from beginning to end. And then in Job chapter 28, verse 25, we read, to establish a weight for the wind. In other words, the Bible taught all the way back in the book of Job that air has weight. We didn't discover this until about 300 years ago. You see, when science is in the Bible, it never has to change. Then Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 7, <clears throat> we read, All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return. There is a good description of the hydraulic process, the water cycle. That the water comes down and evaporates back up, and it comes back down and evaporates back up in the book of Ecclesiastes. Then in Jeff, Genesis chapter 1, we have the law of biogenesis. Now, folks, this is a scientific law, the law of biogenesis, which teaches life only comes from life. In other words, everything comes after its own kind. And that is exactly what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches God is the creator of all life, and everything produces after its own kind. This is the law of biogenesis. Why is it a law in science? Because there are no known exceptions to this law. The Bible clearly teaches life only comes after life. It only comes from life. God is the creator of all life. But what does evolution, what do evolutionists teach? That somehow life evolved from a pool of lifeless chemicals. You see, it is not the Christian who is violating the laws of science. As Christians, we accept the laws of science because God created them all. See, evolutionists teach exactly the opposite of this law. They teach over millions of years all life evolved from a common ancestor. But folks, we can test this. We can test which is true, the Bible, God created all life after His kind, or evolution, everything evolved from a common ancestor. Now, in order to test this, let's just go to the highest level of science. Let's just use observational science, not theories, not hypotheses, or no dogma. We'll just use observational science. And we'll keep this very simple. What do dogs produce? Always 
dogs. No one's ever witnessed a dog produce a giraffe, an elephant, or a cat. They always produce after their kind. Now, what do cows produce besides milk? They always produce cows, always after their kind. What do cats produce? Always cats after their kind. What do horses produce? Always horses after their kind. And what do chimpanzees produce? Always chimpanzees after their kind. God is the creator of all life, and all life produces after its kind. Folks, the law of biogenesis is a real law, no contradictions, and the Bible supports that law, not evolution. And then we can go to Romans 8.22, and there we see physics in the Bible. And it states this in Romans 8.22, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. What is that teaching? What that is teaching, that all creation, teaches all creation is in decay. Folks, that is a general description of our second law of thermodynamics, one of the most well-established laws in science. There it is in the Bible almost 2,000 years before our scientists discovered it. Isn't this incredible what we find in the Bible? And then finally in Genesis chapter 6, verse 15, we see the science of shipbuilding. And it reads this, And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Folks, this happens to be the perfect dimensions for floating. The length-to-width ratio is 6 to 1. The perfect dimensions for floating. Now, I'll remind you, the Bible is not a science textbook, but it is accurate in all matters of science, and it's never had to change. The Bible, folks, is our history book of the universe. It is also accurate in all matters of salvation. We read in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is a fact, folks. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Folks, that is a fact. And then in John 14.6 we read, Jesus said unto them, him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Folks, that is a salvation fact. There is only one way, and it is through Jesus Christ. And we see again in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under the heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Folks, the Bible's accurate in science. It's accurate in history, and it's accurate in salvation. What we need to be doing now is every church, every church that wants to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ and sets their worldview based on the authority of Scripture, we need to be teaching the history of science in the first grade classroom. We need to teach all our first grade the history of biology, of geology, of anthropology, and of astronomy to our first graders. And you say, oh, Mike, we don't have a science person in our church. Folks, you don't need a person who has a degree in science. The history of biology is in the Bible. God created everything after its kind. He is the creator of all life. The history of geology is in the Bible. It's Genesis chapter 6 through 9. It is called 
the worldwide flood. You'll never fully understand geology unless you go to the flood. The history of astronomy is right there in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And on day four, he made the sun, moon, and stars. And in Psalm 19:1, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the history of anthropology is right there in the Bible. We are made in the image and likeness of God, and we are not animals. So in this session, we have answered two challenges. What is a biblical worldview? and is the battle between science and the Bible, and it is not. God is the creator of all science, and science is good. Thank you, and God bless all of you. If these lessons had been a blessing to you, you might consider financially supporting the Ministry of Creation Training Initiative. You can do this by going to our website, creationtraining.org. Again, that's creationtraining.org. Your tax-deductible donation of just $20, $50 or more a month, or a one-time gift of any amount will make you an education partner in building an army of Christian educators who can teach the biblical account of creation and train others to be able to defend their faith and be biblically faithful to God's Word as it states in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear.